Thank you guys so much. My name is Jordan. Uh, I'm a church planter in Harlem, and I also function as the New York City Regional Director for Church Planting for Orchard Group. Uh, it's an organization that you guys partner with and support uh, that's basically starts churches all over the world in cities. And actually right now there's a team that just got finished serving in one of your partner churches in Brooklyn with Epiphany Brooklyn. Uh, you guys, give yourselves a round of applause. You guys have no idea how much... Uh, Your generosity here to see church plants happen in New York City is absolutely incredible. And the church that you guys are supporting in Brooklyn, Epiphany, they are killing it right now. And God has been just doing some amazing things there. So we are really, really grateful for them. Hey, so I want to take you guys back to 15-year-old Jordan uh, one day, one Sunday night, getting ready for high school the next day. And I really needed a haircut. And if I need you guys to kind of summon up your imagination a little bit and... Uh, <laughs> use that. I needed a haircut pretty badly, and my barbershop was closed on Sundays and Mondays. So I thought, hey, I'm just going to uh, go to my parents' bathroom, get my dad's clippers, and give myself a little trim. Nothing too aggressive, just a little bit of a trim. Uh, so I go to my parents' bathroom. I had been in barbershops a hundred times. I had seen thousands of haircuts. How hard can it be? Um, so I took the clippers out. I don't have the steadiest hand in the world. And as soon as I put the clippers down on my head, I just saw a chunk of hair fly in front of my face. And I heard a noise, like a vacuum cleaner turning on. It was just like, that's not a good noise when you're cutting your hair. I was scared to even look at it, so I just kind of touched and patted the area where I thought uh, hair was missing. And when I finally looked at it, I saw this huge bald spot in the middle of my head. Now I had two options. One, I could accelerate the eventual hereditary process that has led me to this place right here and <laughs> shave my head. Or two, luckily for me, I had seen this infomercial for this hairspray that promises to seamlessly <laughs> cover bald spots. And it promised that nobody would ever be able to tell the difference. So the next morning, I got my hands on some hairspray before school, and I followed the instructions to a T. Apparently, it's all about the elbow angle. You don't want to go too straight on. It's like spray paint. You just want to kind of dust it over on top. And I followed the instructions, put the spray on my head, and I went to school that day. Uh, you're not allowed to wear hats in my school, so I walked in just praying, praying to God, Lord, please don't let me get found out. Just let me make it through this day. Uh, I didn't make it too far. By the time I got to my first period of class, the guy sitting behind me said, hey, did you get into a fire last night or something? Like, <laughs> your hair looked singed. It was like this dark, matte, chalky spot on the middle of my head. Uh, and I ended up getting kicked out of class and cutting school for the rest of the day. Kids don't follow that example um, because I was so embarrassed. Now, all throughout my life, really, that story has stuck out to me as an example of what happens when you try to fix something the wrong way. When you try to take a shortcut in life, uh, and it's actually shaped who I am today, uh, that now I'm much more likely just to own up to the mistakes I've made. Uh, I'm much more likely to not try to take a shortcut because I know that when you take shortcuts, you end up looking foolish. Uh, you end up looking more foolish, not less foolish. So I'm way more willing to just own up to mistakes. And if you and I became friends, at some point in our relationship, uh, I think I'd probably challenge you on that, just to be a person that just comes out and says exactly what it is that you've done, haven't done, your areas of weakness, and not hide, because when we hide, when we try to cover up, we just look pretty bad. 
Now, this church has been, been doing an amazing series uh, called Running with Giants. And you guys have been asking an amazing question. What would happen if you were to live life and to spend some time with some of the giants from the Bible, men and women that walked with God? What would they tell you? If you and I were to get in the car together, I would tell you, don't ever try to cover up a bald spot with an infomercial hairspray. <laughs> but thankfully, the stories that we see in Scripture, they give us much more meaningful examples of what, they, uh, of what life is like, what God is like. Now, there's a story in the Bible about a man named Jonah. That's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It's probably shaped how I see God more than almost any other story in Scripture because I think it shows us a really great picture of what God is like. And I think if Jonah was to get in the front seat of the car with you on your way home today to get some lunch, not Chick-fil-A because it's closed, if he were to go with you to In-N-Out, like, what would Jonah tell you? I think Jonah would tell you that, hey, you can't outrun God's grace. I've tried it in my life uh, that, listen, I've tried to outrun God's grace. I've tried as hard as I could, as fast as I could, to get as far away from God, to get as far away from God's mission and God's plan and God's purposes as I could, and I ran really fast and really hard, and you know what? I could not run it. And I think Jonah would also tell you that also I put limitations on what I thought God's grace was really all about. I put it in a nice little box about who can get it and who can't. And I'm telling you from experience, you can't outrun it, and you can't put limitations on it. God's grace and his mercy are for everyone. Now, before we dig into the meat of Jonah and get into uh, the scripture, uh, I first want to talk about the elephant in the room, or in this case, the giant fish in the room, uh, which is essentially that uh, a lot of people struggle to believe or struggle with the story of Jonah because they get caught up in whether or not Jonah was swallowed by a whale or a fish or some giant marine animal and here's what uh, I want to tell you. Uh, I have a two-year-old that's at home, and sleep for my wife and I is a luxury. And I promise you, I will not lose one wink of sleep if you have a problem believing that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Right? I won't lose any sleep. Uh, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to get upset about it. I won't lose any hair over it. I don't have any more to lose. But, um, and here's why. Because whether or not Jonah was swallowed by a fish is a secondary part of the story. It's important for sure. Uh, but it's not the primary part of why Jonah is in the Bible or what Jonah can teach us in Scripture. Now, whether you believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish or whether you, what you believe about the Sabbath and was it a Saturday or a Sunday, what you believe about what happens when people take communion, what you believe about all these different things, they're definitely important, but they're not primary issues that you should hang your faith up. Right? Like, so if you don't believe that Jonah was swallowed by the fish, you're not going to get to heaven one day. It's not, it's not going to be an angel with an earpiece, like, right this way, right this way. Oh, sorry, you didn't believe in Jonah and the fish, man. <laughs> sorry, bro, you got to go to purgatory and become a Knicks fan for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> actually, that's more like hell than it is purgatory, but it's a whole other conversation. Hey, here's where I stand on Jonah. Uh, I believe that Jonah literally existed, was a real person that was swallowed by a real fish. And here, here's why I believe it. The, the biggest reason is that in my life, even with things that are difficult, uh, I found Scripture just to be really trustworthy. Uh, I've had my doubts and wrestled with Scripture a lot in a thousand different areas. And over and over and over again, God has proven through Scripture that this is actually his words for us. Secondly, and equally importantly, uh, Jesus really believed that Jonah existed as a real person and that Jonah was swallowed by a real fish. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 12 and 40, Jesus talks about Jonah. 
And he says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, when Jesus was talking about this, he was talking about himself getting crucified and being buried in a tomb. And he was relating that to an actual event that was going to happen. Hey, I'm actually going to get really, uh, I'm going to get literally crucified and literally buried in a tomb. In the same way that Jonah was swallowed up by the fish and was in the fish for three days. Now, even if you disagree with me and Jesus, even though I wouldn't recommend it, uh, I don't want you to get caught up in that. So if you don't follow, if you don't believe that Jonah was swallowed in a fish, hey, I'm just giving you permission to not really think about that for the rest of the message. Because Jonah, what Jonah teaches us is so uh, absolutely incredible that I don't want you getting caught up on whether it was a fish, a whale, or how that works. And here's what I think Jonah would tell you uh, if you and him were to walk around for a little bit in life. Here's what I truly believe that Jonah would get to you and say, listen, you cannot outrun God's grace. Whatever your definition of God's grace is, it's way too small. You cannot put a limit on it because it is truly available to absolutely everyone. Now, when we talk about grace, uh, I like to contrast it. It's a bigger word. I like to contrast it with justice and mercy uh, because I think that's one of the best ways of explaining what it is. Uh, justice is getting what you deserved. You stole something, you deserve to pay a fine and a penalty. That's what justice is. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you did deserve. So you did something and someone was merciful to you and they held back on the punishment that you deserved. But grace is something altogether different. Grace is you getting good things that you didn't deserve. One of the best stories about justice, mercy, and grace uh, that I've ever heard uh, is from a guy, about a guy named Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia. Uh, that's what LaGuardia Airport is named after. Uh, he was a mayor in New York City during the Great Depression. And there's a story about Mayor LaGuardia that uh, one night he would go to the courts and he would sit on the bench as a judge. And one night there was a woman who came up to uh, the court and she was arrested for stealing some bread from a shopkeeper. She was an elderly woman, and her family could not afford food, so she had to resort to stealing food. The shopkeeper comes to Mayor LaGuardia and says, Mayor, we cannot be weak on her. We have to uh, send a message through her that if we don't take this very seriously, everybody else in the neighborhood is going to think that they can just come to my store and steal, so you need to give her justice. You need to give her what she deserves. The mayor says, that's a very good point. Ma'am, I sentence you to $10 as a fine. Now, for a woman who couldn't afford bread, $10 during the Great Depression would have absolutely crippled her. And as he said that, he reached into his own pocket and took out $10 and handed it to the bailiff. See, justice was the fine that she deserved. Mercy was him paying it for her. The story doesn't stop there. After that, Mayor LaGuardia says, and further, I fine every single person in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where an elderly, elderly woman has to steal bread just to feed her family. And that woman who walked into the court, a guilty woman, walked out with $47.50 during the middle of the Great Depression. That is grace. Now, what Jonah has taught us and is teaching us in this story is so huge. And, man, here's why you absolutely need to get a really good vision of what God's grace and his mercy really are like and why you can't outrun it and why you shouldn't even try to outrun it. Uh, mainly, if you're like me, uh, then you spend a lot of your time and your energy wondering whether or not God accepts you based on how well you're doing. 
Uh, a lot of times in my own life, I just get so deflated thinking like, man, I didn't read as much as I should have. I didn't pray as long as I should have. Uh, I didn't do this or I didn't do this. And I'm kind of in this frantic state, always worrying about whether or not God accepts me or God will reject me based on how well I've done that day. And so often I forget that God gives grace, that God is gracious, and that God's grace and his mercy is truly available for me, even in the areas that I know I do not measure up. Secondly, um, there's a lot of people in life who have made real mistakes in life. I'm not talking about small mistakes. Uh, a small mistake is pronouncing the book of Malachi as Malachi. That's a small mistake. <laughs> but some of the stuff that I've done and some of the stuff that you've done far exceeds that. And it's things that keep you actually away from God. And this might be your first time back in church for a long time. Or you might be really scared to even come into church because you're just always feeling like God has it out for you. Like God has bad things waiting for you as soon as you get there. And what I would tell you more than anything else is you need a good picture of what the God of grace really looks like. Some others of us in here are struggling to forgive people that are close to you for what they've done to you. And every time you hear the word forgiveness, and it might even be right now, it feels like someone is punching your stomach. Uh, because you know you should forgive them, but you just can't ever feel like you can do it on your own. Now, here's what you need more than a lecture, more than guilt. Uh, you need to know what, what God's grace really is like. You need to taste it for yourself. And once you've tasted it, you'll be able to give it to someone else. So we see all these things in the story of Jonah. And uh, we're going to start in chapter 1 today, Jonah 1 and 1. Um, it's an intro of what Jonah was called to do. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Now, Jonah was a prophet, and essentially prophets were called to difficult people to give them a message that basically nobody wanted to hear. And Jonah was given uh, an almost impossible assignment. And I think it's worth noting that um, some of the gruesome tactics that the Ninevites did. Um, so when scripture says that their wickedness has come up before me, uh, this wasn't just a euphemism. This was uh, a real description of how terrible these people really were. And I think it's important for us to sit in the weight of how much uh, terrible things that they had done. They would catch people and they would skin them alive. Uh, they would dismember the, their victims. They would raid cities. Um, these were gruesome people. They were the evil, the most evil, wicked people uh, of their day. Uh, they were almost as bad as cowboy fans. They were just <laughs> maybe a notch, a notch better. But they were the they were the enemy, for for sure. And I want us to sit for a second and think about the implications of this statement that God gave to Jonah. Jonah, I want you to go to the worst people on the planet. The people who were doing the worst things imaginable were the people that God was in pursuit of. The people that were so far away from God, that were so far away from doing the right thing, these were the people that God hand-selected a prophet to go to because God wanted these people to turn to him. Now, oftentimes, I like to give a nice a small box of who I think deserves God's grace and, who's mer and God's mercy. And this story of Jonah is a neon sign that says God's grace and his mercy are available to everyone. And God, has, God gives Jonah this, uh, this call, and it was a difficult one for sure. Now, what Jonah does after receiving this call, uh, it wasn't him just saying, okay, Lord, I'll do that. Uh, we see in um, Jonah... Uh, one and three. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish 
from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. I've never said Tarshish that many times in 30 second span. So God gives Jonah a call to, to go to a basically impossible place, and Jonah does the absolute opposite. Now, from Jonah to go to, uh, to Tarshish, basically, it was the farthest location that he can get away to. In New York, we always say it's like, it's like hopping on a plane and going to Australia. It's like he bought a ticket, a one way, to go as far away from God, as far away from God's plan, as far away from God's mission as he can conceivably get now, what happens next in the story that I want to highlight is, is something that has rocked me to the core. The thing that God called Jonah to was un, unthinkably hard. And sometimes I think in life we dismiss God's call in our lives or we dismiss what we think God might be calling us to do because it just sounds really hard or really unpleasant. And sometimes when grace visits our life, it calls us to do really uncomfortable things. Sometimes it's much easier to stay and God is calling you to leave. Sometimes it's much easier to leave and God is calling you to stay. Sometimes God puts us in difficult positions, but I don't want us to dismiss those difficult circumstances as, as, if, as if it's not God, because sometimes God puts us in those, in t- those situations on purpose. The story picks up in chapter 3 uh, and 1, and it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The runaway is given another chance. All of the books and all of literature couldn't capture the depths of that that one statement. The runaway, the one who literally ran as far as he could to get away from God, this is the person that God is in pursuit and gives him a second chance. And not only that, but God is putting him in pursuit of the people who are the worst of the worst. I read a tweet a couple months ago that said that uh, all my life, I've feared that God's love is no greater than my own. And when I read it, I sat at my computer and cried because um, that's, that's me to a T. I don't think God gives us more chances. I think that God treats people the same way that I would treat them, that once they messed up, I'd cut them off. I'd want nothing to do with them. And all my life, I really have feared that God's love for me is no greater than my love for other people. Or God's love for the world is no greater than my love, the stuff that I'm willing and able to do. But we see here in the story of Jonah is that God is after cowards and convicts and everybody in between. And there is no limit to God's grace. There is no limit to God's love for us that we see poured out in Christ Jesus. Now, the craziest thing in this story is what happens next. Um, It says in chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 days more, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. But the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This is incredible. The people who were the least likely people on the planet to listen to the message of, uh, listen to God's message, those were the people who all believed. Now, why is this so important for you? Because there are people who are far from God, but they're close to you. They're really far from God, but they're really close to you. And you may have written them off that, hey, they can run farther than God's grace can actually catch them. And I want to challenge you on that. 
There's not one person that could outrun God's grace. His grace and his mercy is truly available for everyone. And oftentimes, um, we think that there are some people who are kind of out of bounds and can't receive God's grace. And God's showing us these Ninevites, these people who are as far away as possible that actually did receive the message. He gives us them as an insight, like, hey, my brother, my sister, there's not one person that is out of bounds, and that includes you. You might have come to church today for the first time in a very long time, or you might not know what you believe about God, but you know that you don't believe that you deserve anything good from God. And you might be wondering whether or not you're in bounds, whether or not God's grace would extend to you. And the answer is absolutely yes. Now, it's not just all of us in this room. It's not all of us in this pocket of the the country or this pocket of the world. But God's grace and his mercy is available for everyone all over the entire planet. I was reading a book by an author named Laman Sane. He's an African professor at Yale in missions, and he gave an amazing example of how powerful and how expansive and explosive the power of the gospel is, that it really has no limitations on it at all. He talked about in every other major world religion, there's a limitation on it, that wherever that religion started, that's still where it exists till today. So, for example, Buddhism started in the Far East, And by far and large, the vast majority of adherents to Buddhism are still in the Far East. Islam started in Mecca, and by far and large, Mecca is still the Mecca of Islam. Hinduism started in India, and by far and large, India is still the center of Hinduism. But with Christianity, there is no center. There is no one place that can claim dominance over the the gospel. There's not one place, there's not one corner of the world, there's not one gender or class or culture that could could ever say that this is our thing, that the, the message of the gospel, God's grace going out to people, touches every single person all over the corner in the same way that it hits us here today. If you read the book of Acts, uh, in the second chapter, the first miracle that we see was God immediately putting the language of the gospel of grace in every single body's, in every person's native tongue, so that uh, as as you read through Acts 2 and you see uh, how the author Luke goes through this elaborate description of all these different people who uh, were were now hearing the gospel in their own language, uh, God shows us by a very deliberate miracle that the first act of the church was to put it in everybody's language. You want to know why? Because God's grace and his mercy is available to everyone. Uh, Earlier in our um, church plant, uh, we're three years old, coming up in September, and I haven't killed the church yet, so that's a good sign of God's grace and his mercy. Um, I got an upfront and close view of how much and how powerful and how explosive the power of the gospel was One Sunday, we were doing some baptisms, and one guy getting baptized was born in Russia. Uh, His parents grew up in the Cold War Soviet Union, and uh, they did not grow up and they did not raise him as a Christian by any stretch of the imagination. And I sat there and listened to his testimony as he talked about what Jesus had done in his life and how the gospel was radically altering his life. The next person to get baptized was a woman from the Bronx. She did not grow up with parents who were in Cold War Russia. She actually grew up in and out of foster homes and in jail uh, because at the age of around 13 or 14, she had been sex trafficked. And as she gave her story about what God was doing to her and what the gospel of grace meant to her, uh, I kind of sat on the sidelines just with tears in my eyes thinking about how ridiculously amazing the power of the gospel is that it could be touching someone's life who was born in, in Russia 
and also a woman who was born in the Bronx, and it was equally powerful in their own lives. And I've seen upfront and, and personal that God's grace and his mercy really, truly is for everyone. It's not limited to any one people group. It is truly for everyone. Now, earlier I mentioned a scripture from Matthew 12 and 40 where Jesus talks about Jonah. And he says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, here's what Jonah really points to. And here's why Jesus references Jonah, because Jonah shows us what God's grace and his mercy are like. And it points to Jesus, who would go to the cross and spend three nights and three days in the tomb for us. And if you and I want to get a view on what God's grace looks like, if you and I want to get a a real picture on what it looks like for God to come down to us uh, and spend time with us and what God would say to us, as we see in the story of Jonah, I, I think it looks like Jesus spending time on the cross for us and Jesus being buried in a tomb, uh, buried for our sins. Now, there's a scripture in Colossians 1 and 15. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And here's what that means. If you want to get a really good viewpoint, if you want to get a great chair, if you want to get an upfront and close viewpoint on what God is really like, if you ever ask yourself that question, hey, what is God really like? This God that I've never seen, what is God really like? If you've had that question, then the answer is this. You need to look at the image of the invisible, and that image is the Son. It's Jesus. And here's what Jesus shows us as he has come to this earth, uh, not just to live, but also to die for us. That God goes after people that don't deserve it. In John 1, it talks about Jesus came to his own, and his own didn't even receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the power to become not just the workers, not just the students, but he gave the power to become the children of God. Because his grace and his mercy is available to everyone, and none of us can outrun it. Now, so often in my own life, I struggle to uh, really incorporate that into my own personal rhythms, into my own heart. And I think that's one reason why Jesus uh, commands us Uh, anyone who places their faith in Christ, to do things like communion. Uh, Communion is a ritual that goes back 2,000 years. It's a meal that Jesus had with his closest friends, and he sat around the table, and he took some bread, and he says, hey, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is grace. Then he took some wine, he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you in remission of sins. And after that, Jesus says something that is always something that's so profound to me. He said, hey, every time you do this, I want you to do it to remember me. And I, I was been thinking about this, why Jesus says that phrase like that. I, I think it's because Jesus knows how quickly you and I would forget what real grace looks like. I think he says that because he knows that deep down in our hearts, we're always still thinking that we can outrun, that we can run to a place where Jesus' grace for us no longer exists, that we can go to a place that, no longer, that we're no longer able to be found. So he tells us to do this communion to remember him, to remember that what makes us and God good are not what we've done, but it's God's love for us. What made the woman wealthy in the Great Depression time, what gave her that $47.50 in her pocket was not all of the wonderful things that she did, but it was the grace of a mayor that saw her in her need. Now, Scripture tells us that God saw us in need, and he sent his son Uh, for us to die, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to reestablish and to reconcile us to God. And if you guys ever have any question on what grace looks like, that's what it is.
So today, as you take communion, if you've placed your faith in Christ and you take communion, I want you to think about the ways that you might be running away from God, intentionally or unintentionally, and I want you to say, God, I'm tired of running. I don't want to run away from you. I want to run towards you. I want to embrace everything that you have for me. I don't want to miss out on any good thing that you have for me. And pray that God will remind you that you can't outrun it, and his grace and his mercy are for everybody, and that includes you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, I pray for just my own heart and that everyone that's here, that we would be able to, to truly understand and to comprehend and to grasp how wide is your love for us. And God, I pray for everybody that's running. I pray that they would find a landing place with you. I pray that we would find a home in, in you, that we would know that we are welcome and you've made the way. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.